This podcast is brought to you by DeMarini. Are you ready to join the uprising? More than 150 programs around the nation have, including back-to-back Division I and II national champions, Oregon State and Tampa, and Division III national champion Keene. Log on to demarini.com backslash dnation and check out the Voodoo Minus 3 to see why the SC3 alloy is the most powerful and durable performance alloy on the market. It gives you the pop you need to get along because chicks don't dig the ground ball. The Uprising, coming to a ballpark near you. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, college style, along with Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. I think this is my favorite part of the week, Aaron. We get done with a contentious top 25 meeting every, as it is every week, and then we uh, everybody calms down, and we come back to the podcast nook, and we uh, chit-chat a little college baseball. I, re- I really do enjoy it. I hope people enjoy it as well. well. John, I think you and I were actually on the same page in the meeting for the most part today. Which is upset a City. Unusual, so. <laughs> that is Upset City. We'll see, so. we'll see if we can bring that harmony to the podcast. Signs point to no, but let's uh, go right to the top, and we'll, of course, take your emails at college podcast. Actually, it's podcast at baseballamerica.com. That's the email address, and uh, always happy to take those comments, uh, questions, thoughts, what have you. Um, Aaron, let's start right up at the top of the podcast, at the top of the poll, I should say. Three ACC teams remain in our top four. So we've got uh, Miami at number one, Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. Woo! At number three, at 31 and three overall for the season, and North Carolina 29 and seven. I think these three teams have a couple things in common. First of all, they're all in the ACC. Second of all, they all swept ACC series on the road this weekend, Aaron. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a little status quo, but uh, Miami goes to Georgia Tech. Obviously, a traditional power. Obviously, a horrible weekend at Georgia Tech when they found uh, their teammate Michael Hutz. Uh, Found dead in his dorm room, I believe it was dorm room or apartment, right. um, on Friday afternoon. So Friday's game postponed. Just can't imagine what that team is going through. And obviously, I thought some condolences go out to Danny Hall, and, uh, uh, Coach Danny Hall, and the players on that team and the, and the entire Georgia Tech uh, community. Um, but and, and just a quick aside there, John. Yeah. I heard a report from a, a scout who was there on Friday when they found out the news, and, and you know, it just seemed like everyone was just completely stunned, as you might imagine, and the players were all. You know, kind of in a daze, trying to still warm up and trying to figure out what to do. And right. you know, you could see players with just you know tears streaming down their cheeks, and it was it was really a uh, it sounded like a very emotional, uh, very very sad scene. Just not something 19, 20, 21 year olds are supposed to deal with. So the fact that Georgia Tech and Miami played the series, um, you know, I guess you kind of hats off. Really, they're, they're, they're being pros about it. Basically, remember when Daryl Kyle died? I mean, the Cardinals, you know, Major League Baseball seemed like it stopped almost for a day. You know, uh, this is. Uh, similar circumstances, really, for Georgia Tech. So, our, again, our thoughts and uh, go out to to that ball club, and then uh, you know, for Miami to still kind of compartmentalize that, just go out and play, um, take care of their business. Again, be pros about it, really. Uh, Florida State to go on the road, win a couple close games with Boston College, and then uh, wipe things out on Saturday. I think those were a Friday doubleheader, then a Saturday game, and then North Carolina to do something it had never done, go and win a series at Clemson, not just win it, sweep it. What's the most impressive of those for you, Aaron, between Miami, Florida State, and North Carolina? What what jumped out the most to you from that ACC weekend? Was well, it an individual performance or a team performance? Well, I mean, you know, like you said, all three of them are, are impressive. I, I didn't – I thought North Carolina might have a little bit more trouble at Clemson just because I, I do believe Clemson is is a pretty solid, talented team. And, boy, they've been struggling lately. I think they've lost about, uh, I want to say, like eight in a row now. It's, a, not uh, a, it's not a typical Clemson team this year. It's not. Very you know, young but and they're just still, not getting they've it done. they still got so much pitching, and they were at home where they've been much better this year than they've been on the road. I think they were 14-5 right. and five at home going into this weekend. 
Um, and, and North Carolina has never won at Clemson. I thought that was a really good uh, upset pick. But Clemson is now 18-17 and 17 overall. That's just shocking. You just don't see that and, and you know, we in, in our regional projection last week, John, we still picked Clemson as a number two seed, mostly uh, purely mm-hmm. on projection because mm-hmm. we expected – we looked at the remaining schedule and we said, you know, I could see them winning – Every one of these remaining series, and right. that included North Carolina. Right. But boy, you get swept by North Carolina. They lost home. nine straight now. I mean, nine nine straight. That is that's Clemson's in trouble, John. That's there's no other way to put it. Yeah, and, and North Carolina just give those guys a lot of credit. Uh, you know, I mean, they've they've got a good club and, and and they're playing well. They've played very consistent all year long. They haven't, I don't think, been um, quite the the. Juggernaut Overwhelming area. juggernaut that we've seen from Arizona State in the first half in Miami and in Florida State. Yeah, those three teams ahead of them have combined for ten losses, right. and North Carolina has seven on its own. Yet, like you're saying, North Carolina's so consistency. And, and, and Alex White is, to me, one of the key things for them. Uh, he has, has, I think, been very, very solid the last uh, three or four starts especially. Really, he's been very good all year, yeah. uh, but especially lately he's been outstanding, really becoming that – that true ace, one of the one of the best Friday guys in the country, I think, which is what they hoped he would be. Absolutely, he was supposed to be uh, one of the top sophomores in the country this year, and he's evolving into that now. We should uh, take a step aside from the poll real quick and preview three strikes coming at BaseballAmerica.com. The real story of the weekend, really, there were two stories on Friday night yeah. that we should talk about. I can't believe we didn't go over this in the pre-show, but that's just me. Um, well, they'll, <laughs> they'll be covered in some detail in strikes. I thought there was a pre-show. Uh, the top. Cobbledge right-hander for the 2008 draft, Aaron Crow, gets lit up in some ways on Friday. Still wins in a wild and woolly 31-12 Missouri victory over Texas. But Crow's 42-2 and two-thirds scoreless inning streak comes to an ignominious end. And then Steven Strasburg, Hoochie Mama, 23 strikeouts, the most in NCAA Division I play since Neil Heaton in 1981. Uh, this is just, that, that is crazy. It's the opposite of terrible. Steven Strasburg. Vaulting past the likes of Alex White and Missouri's Kyle Gibson to the top of draft board for 2009. Yeah. Which is the bigger story for you, Strasburg's 23 strikeout, one hit shutout for San Diego State, or Crow getting hammered and still getting the win for Missouri? And the other, the other uh, big thing in that Missouri game was Jacob Friday, oh, four gosh. home runs and nine RBIs. That's a Big 12 record, four home runs in one game. I think he was sneaking in some minus three, uh, not minus five <laughs> bats into that one. Jacob Friday. What a, crazy. I mean, you know what? I, I'm not exactly sure which one uh, bulged my eyes more when I checked on Friday night, uh, but you know, uh, I think it was probably it was probably Strasburg. But wow, I mean, did you don't expect to, to look at a Texas score and see 31 to 12? I mean, I checked that game in the, in the first uh, couple of innings, and it was I think nine to nothing Texas. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, so much for that. Yeah. You come back later and see 31 to 12. I mean, that's this is Texas we're talking about. You, you, you definitely don't expect to see that, but but uh, I can't ever remember John seeing reading about I guess a, a better college baseball performance than Steven Strasburg, 23Ks at a one-hit shutout. Uh, it's crazy. It, it really is crazy. And uh, we can segue there right into uh, Texas and Missouri. Texas uh, loses the series to Missouri. Two out of three. It's on the road. Missouri jumps up to number six again. And the other Tigers have been in our top ten all year, 25-9. and nine. Only 7-5 and five in the Big 12, but they are 6-2 and two against top 25 teams. Regain a little momentum this weekend. I think we really believe in their pitching and their defense, and they, they have shown offensive ability. I mean, they, yeah. <laughs> they scored 44 runs in two games. They've got some legit Texas. power bats in that lineup, John, with Aaron Sinney and, and Jacob Friday, and you know, Ryan Lawless can hit for power. He hasn't really done so. Uh, they're getting some home runs from Steve Gray. I mean, this is, this is I think people look at this, and, and, and when I saw them uh, in the first, I guess the second weekend of the season, they kind of struck me as a West Coast-style team. 
Right. And I think they are, but I don't think they're like a Long Beach kind of West Coast team. I think they're more like a Cal State Fullerton uh, from this year uh, West Coast team because they've got, like Fullerton, they've got some power bats in there. Yeah. Uh, they're going to manufacture runs. They're not going to, you know, offense isn't going to be their calling card, but they're not a bad offensive team at all. No, they are, they, and they've and they've shown the ability to be productive, and they've been pretty consistent. And a couple little speed bumps there, and that's why we dropped them down to eight. But uh, obviously, impressive for them to, to win a series against Texas because that's their uh, really the, the you would thought we thought coming into the season, Missouri, Baylor, Texas, the top three teams in the league. Uh, now Nebraska loses a series uh, to Oklahoma State, so Nebraska falls down to nine. Texas losing that series, we dropped them all the way down to twenty. Aaron uh, behind Oklahoma State which had an impressive series win, again, against Nebraska. Nebraska's first series loss since the first weekend of the year when they lost to Stanford. And then Texas A&M jumps into the rankings, I should say, back in. They were a preseason top 25 team, but so were Louisiana, Lafayette, and Fresno. So what does that mean? Fresno, I should mention, John, is coming alive. They, That's uh, good. They won a big series against Louisiana Tech right now, and they're they're back over 500 at least. Lafayette. Lafayette, not so we'll, much. We'll remain, uh, we will not talk about the Ranging Cajuns for fear of angering ourselves. But A&M back in the rankings at number 19. Texas falls all the way to 20, Aaron. Explain a little bit of why Texas fell. Eight spots for really, on paper, kind of doing what they were supposed to do, losing two out of three at uh, Missouri. Well, you know, uh, I don't I don't frankly think that Texas has been impressive at any point this year. Uh, they've That's the basic, <laughs> that's the I way mean, to put it. They've, you know, they, they've... They've been kicking around the, the teens in the rankings, I think, all year long because, first of all, they're Texas, and, and you know, they're, and there hasn't been a lot of other teams that have been really so much more impressive than they've been. Uh, but you know what? Texas, they haven't pitched. I mean, their, their team ERA right now is, is 5.01, I think we've we looked Yeah, at. no, it's, it's, it's 5. It's, it's a 5.01. It's unbelievable to see a Texas team with that ERA. And, and, and the point, actually, we were talking in the meeting today, we are comparing Texas and Ole Miss, who I think have pretty comparable overall records. I mean, Texas is Comparably disappointing of, this year. Neither, sure. neither team, I think it's safe to say traditional powers. Ole Miss certainly is not in Texas's realm. Right, right. But in the last five years... They've been comparable. They haven't gotten over the hump to get to Omaha, but it's a pretty doggone good program at Ole Miss. But a couple of differences between those two teams, although Texas has played, I think, the tougher schedule, more top 25 teams, mm-hmm. Missouri, or Mississippi rather, hasn't played a terrible schedule, first of all. Second of all, they're the hot team right now. They won eight out of nine. Texas Correct. is in a funk. And thirdly, you look at Texas's number one starter, Austin Wood, would he be the number four starter on Mississippi? Would he be the number five starter? I mean, I don't know. Would he be he's better reliever? than Nathan, Nathan Baker, who's the number four guy over at Ole Miss. I mean, he might be a middle reliever. He's been giving up a lot of home runs yeah. this year. You know, Texas is not a ballpark that plays to home runs, and, and Woods given up eight home runs in thirty eight innings. Uh, he's been homer prone, and he's fastball changeup lefty, and that's kind of what happens with those guys. Hey, Johan Santana's a fastball changeup lefty, and he's homer prone. Like Twenty seven last uh, week. something like that. He gave up a couple this weekend, so. Uh, when you look at Texas's pitching, and you see that basically outside of Chance Ruffin, the rest of the team's pitchers have all been consistently inconsistent. This is how you get a team that's ranked 20th. You match them up against Oklahoma State. Very similar overall records, exactly the same conference record. Oklahoma State's seven and six against top twenty-five teams. Texas three and six. Oklahoma State is winning series against good teams. The, the last two weeks they've beaten Nebraska and Missouri. Yep. Uh, what's Texas's best win, John? Texas Tech two out of three. Is series it, is their Oklahoma? best series win is that. That's the thing. Texas hasn't gotten swept, and that tells you a little bit about their mental toughness. And that's why I do think that Texas is still a top twenty-five team and a team that can still be dangerous in the postseason. But because they, they, they have shown mental toughness, they haven't let themselves get swept. But they haven't won any of the series against the teams they've played that are better than them. 
Stanford. They, they lost at home to Stanford. They lost yes. at home to Nebraska. Um, and then losing the series at Missouri. Um, there's one other top 25 series in there, top 25 caliber series. They lost. It's just not been a good season for Texas. And the thing is, I think everyone who's a Texas Longhorn fan really knows that that's true as well. So uh, and, and they played and they played a tougher schedule, John, than Texas A&M. Uh, but the Aggies, first of all, have won 13 in a row. That, that's the team with momentum right now. Yes. And second of all, you know, maybe the Aggies haven't played the best part of the, of the Big 12 yet. Right. But unlike Texas, they're sweeping those series against Kansas and Kansas State and, and Oklahoma. Correct. Now, that's the thing. You know, you look at both those clubs, obviously uh, big rivals. They will end the regular season against each other. One game in Austin, two in Cal Station. They alternate that every year. I love the way they do that in the Big 12, Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor do that every right. year. But let's look at what Texas has coming up. Oklahoma State comes to town for three. Crucial, crucial series. Huge. Um, Texas is at home for that, but I got to be honest with you, Oklahoma State's looking a lot better they're, than Texas they've right got, now. You know what, John? They've got better pitching, and, and that's not something they you do. expect You're from right. Oklahoma State. But they've got those three sophomores. I mean, Blanford's been a little bit uh, shaky on Sundays, but Andrew Oliver and, and Tyler Lyons have been outstanding lately. You're right, and they, they could use Frank Anderson back in Texas right now, uh, taking care of their pitchers. Then you got Texas has to go to Kansas State. Kansas State's been a big disappointment. No other way to put it. We thought Texas. Yeah. We thought Kansas State was a regional team. Coming into the year, they got a couple of veterans back they didn't expect to get back. They just haven't capitalized on. They haven't had a good year. Byron Wiley has been one of the major disappointments in the nation. I think he's hitting like a buck thirty six last I checked. Goo, and, he, and I think he gotten benched as well. Just just striking out way too much. That's uh, unfortunate. Brad Hill said on on Thursday he's just not making contact. So that's that's a guy that we I think we had it maybe even our top one hundred going into the year. So that's yes in the discussion for biggest disappointment. Not good. But then Texas, so Texas' last four series, you got Oklahoma State, certainly no gimme. At Kansas State, not, e- not not an easy series, but that's the easiest series left for them. Then Baylor with that split series, uh, two in Austin, one in Waco. And then Texas A&M. Texas is on the bubble for hosting a regional here. Uh, they've got to win, in my mind, three of those four to host a regional. And it's you know not going to be easy. You know what? Baylor is kind of lurking in the weeds right now. I mean, they they haven't been Weed great lurking. over the last month, really, but they, they are 8-7 and seven in the conference. I mean, they're not in bad shape. Uh, and they just you know took two out of three at Kansas State this weekend. And, and, and they've gotten, again, that's a team that has better pitching, so you can, I think, project them down the down the road a little bit better. John Tolleson pitched wonderful this weekend. I don't know if you saw. Uh, just the, just the new notes. Complete, complete game shutout, I believe, for Sean Tolleson on Sunday. And, and you know what? On Thursday, Steve Smith wasn't even sure Tolleson was going to pitch because he had to come down with a little bit of tenderness in his mm-hmm. surgically repaired elbow. He was trying a little tenderness, like the song goes. <laughs> Not usually something that pitchers should try, but what are you going to do? Um, but A&M, you talked about the hot team. A&M's at the top of the standings in the league at 12-3 and now, half game over Nebraska. That, the Big 12 is fascinating. 13-game winning streak for the Texas Aggies. That's why they're 19. You know, if, if UNCW can win 21 in a row and vault into the rankings, then so can a Big 12 team. I think that's sure. safe to say. Sure. Um, and, 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 again, we like Texas A&M's talent, and it's the pitching depth in particular that stands out with them uh, because, you know, I mean, that's, right. we, we've been saying all year we think that's going to be a factor. And it's going to be it's bearing out as the season goes on. But we thought this was a six-bid team league going in, Aaron, and there's really some separation now. Top six teams in the Big 12, all over 500 in the league, with three teams at 8-7, and seven, OK State, Texas, and Baylor. And then the bottom four teams, all significantly under 500 in the league. Uh, we really thought that either Kansas State, we definitely thought Kansas State, we thought maybe Oklahoma had a shot, especially after they went to the UCLA and split the first two games and played well early. Maybe one of those two teams had a shot. Right now, both those teams have played their way out of regional consideration. Those top six teams have played their way in. I think if there's a breakout club out of those bottom three, uh, I would argue it's Oklahoma State. They're playing really well. They're playing their best baseball right now, as evidenced by the series wins back-to-back, like you said, against yeah. Nebraska. 
um, and then Missouri. But uh, Texas and Baylor, it's going to be interesting. Those three teams play each other the next three weeks. We'll see how things go uh, down the stretch in the Big 12. But the trends are down for Texas, and that's why we hit Texas eight spots, whereas otherwise you probably wouldn't have hit a team. If you take that in a vacuum and they, you know, number 12 goes to number eight and loses two or three, you usually don't drop them eight spots. But I uh, that deserved a little. It was a good entrepot when they're talking about the rest of the Big 12. Let's talk about the Southeastern Conference a little bit, Aaron, before we take a podcast question and then get out of here. Um, Highest-ranked SEC team this week is 13, Georgia, correct? Yes. They Georgia last I think, week as well, I believe. I think we, we, we think that the SEC is a league with a lot of good teams and no great team. Um, and, uh, and that Georgia clearly has established itself best non-conference schedule in that league and best record now in the league. I, I don't think those two things are coincidental. I think Georgia prepared itself before league play started, and they are a veteran team. They were... They were ready to take the experience from losing some of those tough games early and uh, apply that to winning tough games in conference. But South Carolina with a big bounce-back yeah. weekend. Ole Miss, Vanderbilt starting to get themselves back up off the turf and and playing well again. And, and I think all four of those teams are, are really good clubs. And, and honestly, I think that by the end of the year, I still believe Ole Miss will emerge as the elite team in that league because I still think they're the most balanced club, although Georgia is also very balanced. Uh, I mean, the, the, the common denominator between Georgia and, and, and Ole Miss is they both have a, a lot of pitching. Right. And, and, and um, you know, and we're seeing that, like you said, bear fruits now. Um, but uh, but Georgia, I mean, those two teams have kind of taken a stranglehold in their respective divisions now. Mississippi, I believe, has a three-game lead in the West, and, and Georgia has a three-game lead in the East. So um, I'm, I'm very curious, John, for that, that Ole Miss-South Carolina series coming up this weekend. I'm planning to get down there, actually. Awesome. Uh, so uh, that, that's, I think that's going to be a big one. Um, especially in the Eastern Division standings, because that's Crazy. just a, it's just a cluster after Georgia with South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee all at nine and six. Tennessee's kind of the, the club that's flying under the radar here. Yeah, uh, winning series every week it seems like just or, grinding things out yeah. in Todd Raleigh fashion. You gotta have a lot of respect for the job that Todd Raleigh. Great done hire that was. I think it was uh, nothing against Rod Delmonico, but really in a lot of ways Todd Raleigh's kind of the anti Rod Delmonico. It's a little bit more of a grinder mentality, a little bit less of a flashy mentality. I'm going to guess that Southern uh, Florida, South Florida, is not going to be. Uh, where he recruits the yeah. majority of his impact players from. That's yeah. just a guess. Yeah. Uh, Todd Raleigh's going to be a little bit more about Tennessee kids and sure. SEC kids. He's going to compete with other SEC schools for a lot of the same players uh, as opposed to competing maybe with Miami or those kind of schools, or South Florida, uh, Florida Atlantic for talent. I I just think he's a grinder mentality that really is well-suited to Tennessee and very well-suited to the Southeastern Conference. I just see no reason why another Jack Leggett uh, spawn of Jack Leggett is not going to be a really good coach uh, in the SEC. There are three of them now, and uh, they're all pretty good. But the, the SEC standings are so wild, Aaron, to see the entire East. We have five teams from the SEC ranked. They're all from the East. Actually, I guess we have four, Georgia, South Carolina, um, uh, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Kentucky sixth place in the SEC East. They're number 25 in our rankings. We banged them eight spots after losing this week. Uh, I'd say no team is, uh, can we enthuse- rank with less enthusiasm than Kentucky. They still are 26-8. and eight. But seven and eight in the league, they gotta show us something. That is the Hollywood twenty six and eight, John. That, uh, it's, that it's you won't like, find anywhere in the top twenty five. Their twenty six and eight is uh, akin to Russ Moldenauer of Texas as three twenty six, kind of an empty three twenty six. It's kind of an empty twenty six and eight. We really couldn't find another team to rank ahead of them. Was the problem we couldn't settle on. Another team that deserved to be in the top 25 ahead of Kentucky, you know, and, and, Kentucky. and I thought there were a lot of uh, similarities between Kentucky this week and Virginia last week. Both, oh, yeah, absolutely. Both feasted on, on really poor non-conference schedules, uh, padded those resumes, got into the rankings pretty high, and, and then 
kind of have fallen on their faces on the road in conference. That's been the big thing is neither of those teams. Virginia has a hard time winning away from its spacious little pitching and defense uh, uh, environment there. Right. Kentucky can't win away from its little band box. I mean, it, it seems like. And in conference, they've lost at Auburn, at South Carolina, at Georgia. Uh, I am not enthusiastic at all about Kentucky. Getting swept uh, at Georgia is pretty bad. I think the fact that we had Georgia ranked so high is why I didn't feel comfortable completely running them out of the out of the top 25. They were competitive in two of the three games. Georgia is better. I think Georgia established it was better. Just couldn't quite run Kentucky all the way out, even though their overall resume is not that impressive. But uh, obviously there's just no easy weekend in the, in the SEC. But it's actually for, for Kentucky – you know, I mean, what's what's Kentucky's best win? I mean, they sweep Alabama at home, two or three against Mississippi State. And those are the two weakest teams in the SEC. I mean, before that, they've got nothing in the in the in the, in the non conference. I'm just not, I'm just not very enthusiastic about Kentucky. And the best thing that Kentucky did basically was they scored a ton of runs early. And like you said, right. it's their band box. And they did score some runs when they were down at uh, in Mobile, Alabama, uh, for that tournament. But it's just not. It's it's almost impossible to gauge still how good this Kentucky team is uh, because they haven't played. Well, against a good team, I mean, that that kind of tells you how good they are. But to me, a, basically a 500 team in the SEC playing pretty good SEC teams is a top 25 team. But it's a back of the top 25 team. Um, the real question for them is how are their guys, like the Sawyer Carrolls and the Colin Calgos of the world, going to hold up against better pitching? I have more, more, I have more confidence in that than I do in, in, in Scott Green, who has just been incredibly disappointing. Yeah, he has been. Their whole pitching staff just... After hasn't been that good. Really. It really, it really hasn't been that good. So it's, uh, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to see where Kentucky goes from here. But they are the bubbliest of bubble teams. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. He's Aaron. I'm John. Aaron, we finally brought in your personal cheese ball. Pepperdine comes in at 23. They've been really like the perpetual number 26. They're in the rankings this week. East Carolina back in the rankings at 24. UNCW drops out. Let's finish up a little bit with a little Big West talk. We haven't talked any West Coast at all yet. Uh, you know, what was the most significant thing in the West Coast for you this weekend? Was it uh, Long Beach State falling out of the top twenty-five? Uh, a team that just has lost eleven and thirteen, just is in uh, a total meltdown right now. Uh, I know a lot of it was on the road, but the lose at home this weekend at Irvine. That that was shocking, John, because I really thought Long Beach would rally at home this weekend. And, and you know, I've been trying to get a feel for Long Beach. Uh, I was talking to people on the West Coast this this week just to say, what do you think about these guys? And people are saying, don't worry about Long Beach. They're a good club. They're going to be fine. Uh, I think people expected them to beat Irvine as good as Irvine is, and, and I've become convinced that Irvine is very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, they're, me they're, too. they're a better offensive team than Long Beach, and, and you know what? Their pitching has been more consistent. Even even with Scott Gorgon not at his, his, his peak Zenith, level, yeah. he's, he's, he was better earlier in the year. He's still winning uh, this week anyway. Um, you know, and, and Bryce Stoll and, and, and Daniel Babona have been outstanding on Saturdays and Sundays. But, fun but, to say Daniel Babona as well. <laughs> Very fun. But but Long Beach, man, I, I, mean, I, I don't know what's going on out there. I guess, you know, we knew all, all year long that, that scoring runs could be a problem for them. Um, we thought they'd be a little bit better at preventing runs. I right. Think. That's correct. That's that's the, th- that's, that's the, the, I guess, the bottom line. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, they're, they better get better the next two weekends. They're at Northridge and they're at home to Pacific. If they don't win... Six out of six. Honestly, they're they are eight. They're going to be in trouble for a regional bid. If they go four and two, they go two and one in both those series. Let's just think out loud. And they're six and six in the league. Then they're home to UCSB, which is decent. At Cal Poly, which is better than its record, but really still not that good of a record. At Davis, too, you skipped. I, and that's the thing. They have they have two really tough series left. At Davis, home to Fullerton. They better win the four series that they're going to be favored in. Yeah. 
because they're already two and four in the league, only nineteen and fourteen overall. It's a very difficult schedule. I'm sure their RPI is good and all that mess, but they have to win the series where they're really favored because Davis is going to be tough. The UC Davis is my new personal cheese ball. That team can really pitch. Uh, got some decent offense. Uh, they were prepared. They're, they're kind of like Florida State coming into the ACC in basketball in 1991-92. They don't have Sam Cassell. They're not that good, but they're good. They were ready. They geared up as a program to, for entrance into the Big West, and you have to respect the job that program has done uh, to be ready for this. Sure. And then when they end the season against Fullerton, boy, Long Beach State better be playing they are now, better than they are now because uh, you're just not going to get it done. 19-14 and 14 overall. I don't care how tough your schedule is. You just can't go 2-11. and 11. Uh, it's brutal. So UC Davis, shockingly, five and one atop the Big West. Right, and, and Fullerton, I think, is still positioned the best in that league, uh, having won at Irvine. I mean, they're six and three in the yeah. league, and and you know, I mean, a little certainly bit, they are a little bit sloppy this week for for Fullerton. I mean, against you know, they take two out of three against Cal State Northridge and nearly blow a fourteen and two lead on Sunday. Uh, not the most impressive way to win a series against Northridge, but I still think Fullerton is probably in the best shape. I agree, and you just have to uh, you have to respect the job that, that Mike Gillespie and those guys have done at UC Irvine this year. Just uh, remarkable, and the job that Dave Serrano has done coming into Fulton. Those are not his players, quote unquote. You know, coming in with a lot of guys who are new to him, and uh, just done a great job. Dave Serrano. Uh, you know, we should never ever doubt Dave Serrano. And guess what? We never do. We've given him two coaching awards, so we think he's pretty good. So we think Fulton's pretty good too. Uh, especially, I think they're playing a little bit above their talent this year. So, uh, kudos to those guys. And speaking of uh, talent, UCLA and Arizona are still not ranked. So, let's take one quick podcast question before we wrap it up. Um, I guess what I'll we'll do is this one from Travis Washburn uh, sent last week. Thank you so much for the college podcast. He's an App State grad, and uh, he just uh, made some App State jokes, which is always good. Uh, I, he appreciated me lobbying for the App State Wake Forest football renewal, which is good. But uh, uh, but he comes a lot of North Carolina games. He's talking about that kind of stuff. And so he says, I, comments about Long Beach State and Virginia. We've talked about their home field advantage, Aaron. Do you think? Do we think that the USA Baseball Facility, which is bigger than the Boschmer Stadium, is affecting um, UNC this year in their home games? Because they do have a lot of midweek home losses. They aren't scoring a ton of runs at home. They lost this week, midweek to Elon, 2 nothing. Do we think that North Carolina's one-year change of venue is affecting them uh, and in a way, I guess I would say probably because they're just sure, not at home. Sure. They're playing all their all their games are basically kind of road games. You know, NC State did this back in two thousand two or two thousand three. I forget what year it was where they were uh, not. They did not uh, the Dale Park Doak Field was being reconstructed. They played at six different home sites. At least North Carolina is playing in one, and it's a very nice site. Yeah. But uh, how do you think that's affecting North Carolina? Because I do think they're less of a pitching and defense team more of a pitching and offense team than a pitching and defense team. No, I think that's a great way to put it, John, actually, pitching and offense team. Uh, You know, I I agree. I think it's clearly it's suppressed their offense a little bit at home. It's a a tough park to to hit home runs. It's not an easy park to score runs. I mean, you should be able to find the gaps, and they've done that. They've hit some doubles. But, um, you know, I mean, it's – I I do think that they're built more to play at Boschimer. I just think it's always tough when you're not at your home park, especially early. Yeah, I think it's always tough. But like you said, it and they have some pretty nice left-handed bats. Uh, that's how you recruit the Boschmer Stadium. It's a three fifty-five to right center field. Yeah, uh, at least it used to be. We'll see what it is in the new ballpark. Understand, Peter Gammons probably has something to do with designing the new park. <laughs> he at least helped raise the money. 
But um, I do think it affects them. Are they better than their twenty nine and seven mark? I guess is the we, we started talking ACC. Aaron, we'll finish with the I think, podcast. You know what? I think they're right where they should be. I think they're a solid club. I, I, I uh, you know, they're certainly one of the best clubs in the country. Um, but I mean, every time I've seen them, I, I haven't been overwhelmed with them. They're, I don't think they're as good as they were the last two years. Um, and of course, we said last year they weren't as good as they were in 06. So, <laughs> and they still got back to the finals. Yeah, but I mean, last year I think you, you know I think they had a lot more on offense and, and defense. Really, I mean, it was. But they still. I mean, the key thing with North Carolina is they've got so many veterans. Is it kind of it kind of makes them slump proof? I think um, they don't go into extended funks because they've got so many guys who've been there, and uh, and and, and they've got a lot of depth on the mound and and. and you know, enough firepower. I mean, and, and the, I guess the biggest question I have with them is the defense. And right. I think that's going to be the, the question that, that kind of lingers with them, um, especially, I guess, up the middle, the middle of the, the infield in particular. So yeah, They don't put up the big numbers that Arizona State does, but in some ways Mike Fox's clubs are kind of like Arizona State's clubs. Arizona State always pitches better than you think, and they hit the bejesus out of the ball. And they are kind of slump-proof because they are so offensive. Yeah. You know, Mike Fox's teams have always been pretty good offensive ball clubs yeah. over North Carolina. Even Kyle when Seeger, John. I'm sorry to Kyle Seeger having a huge weekend. Th- that guy has had a huge year. And, yeah, he has and, had a huge and year. a little bit under the radar because Dustin Ackley, running freshman of the year, gets a lot of attention. And he, and he should because he Dustin Ackley is a stud. He's a stud. But Kyle Seeger leads the ACC in RBIs, I believe, with 48. He that is that, unbelievable. He had that 27-game hitting streak recently come to an end. I mean, he's... He has been. That is super sweet for He Cal. has been one of the best players in the ACC right now. He's got. A, I think he's got a case for ACC Player of the Year, and I know that probably sounds a little strange with all the big names in the ACC, particularly in Miami. But was he hitting three ninety seven? John now six with, homers, forty eight ribeyes, twenty doubles is impressive. Again, taking advantage of those gaps, it, like you it. said. But the reason I say that I, I will compare North Carolina a little bit to Arizona State is one hundred sixty six walks when they steal bases, they steal efficiently. It's a four hundred one team on base percentage. They've always been. A grinded out mentality as a lineup. Difficult at bats. That's why guys like Matt Spencer didn't play in North Carolina. He gave away too many at bats. That's why Seth Williams always plays because he's a grinder. He grinds through at bats. Mm-hmm. That's Mike Fox's kind of player, if I may be so bold as to try to read the mind of Mike Mark Fox. But I, I think you have to respect the North Carolina program. They are kind of slub-proof. You, you had to respect them anyway. They went to Omaha back-to-back years and lost in the championship series. But this team doesn't really have a, a star you peg it to, and yet uh, still very impressive. Their two best players are sophomores and Alex White and Dustin Ackley. And this team just continues to grind it out. And Miami and Florida State are combined 61-6, and six, and they're getting all the attention. But guess which is the team that's been to Omaha the last two years? North Cackalack. You know, Florida State hasn't been to Omaha since 2000. Uh I think that North, to expect North Carolina to fall short of Omaha is almost a little folly, and uh, it might be interesting to see how they do with that home field advantage or not advantage in a regional at uh, Cary at uh, USA Baseball's uh, training complex. One thing they're going to need also is I think they're going to need Matt Harvey to pitch a little bit better down the stretch. He's been scuffling a little bit on Sundays now, so something to keep an eye on. And my final thought, John, about the ACC. Longest podcast ever. That's yeah, okay, though. You know. That's actually not. We've done longer. Miami, Florida <laughs> State coming up this weekend. It used I don't to be really the, have any thoughts beyond that. But that used uh, to be the best series in college baseball because when Miami was an independent, Florida State and Miami played back-to-back, one series in Tallahassee, one in Coral Gables. It was awesome. It was by far the best series in, conf- in college baseball. Of course, it helped. They matched up in the 99 championship game. Uh, Blair Varnes pitched it on one leg, um, Amy Poehler style. Uh, it, was a, it was an awesome uh, championship game. Marshall McDougal goes deep. Miami wins at 6-5. 
Kevin Brown for RBIs. That, that to me is the pinnacle of that series of that rivalry. Those two teams. You had uh, the coaching ties. Jim Morris used to coach for Mike Martin. You had the fact that uh, Turtle Thomas uh, always stirred the pot. Those teams recruited against each other. You had Florida State uh, having the signals, Miami signs, and being busted for having those signs. You have all the accusations of Miami stealing signs. I mean, these two programs have all this awesome history: football, baseball, whatever. Uh, they used to play six times a year. I love that series. It's lost a little bit with Miami coming into the ACC, but what a great weekend series that'll be! One, I think it's three. I think that's going to be your meaningful matchup this weekend. It's a safe bet, John. I wish I were there for that one, but uh, you'll be at uh, Ole Miss, South Carolina. That sounds good. I'll probably be hanging out with my three-year-old and my six-month-old, but uh, that's good too. He's Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next week for the Baseball America College podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.